are listening to an episode of On The Topic. And this week, my intro has nothing to do with this episode at all, but you'll find me web-slinging around Ports of Guildhall. I'm Dan. You were indeed. But um, my one is about today's episode, and I've got glowing red eyes, horns, and big shiny teeth. You horny devil. (laughs) Quite. (laughs) Um... But not what you think, listener. And I'm Alex, uh, and not a horny devil. And uh, this week we are talking about cryptids, mm. volume one. But before we get into our first foray into the strange and mysterious world of zoology um, and the rest of things, what's been up to you, Dan? Uh, well, this past weekend, uh, you could have found me at Portsmouth Comic Con over two days. On the Saturday, I dressed up as Spider Man. Great fun. In your spandex? Yes. You look great, by the way. Nowhere to hide in that stuff, though. It was very hot as well. You didn't leave an awful lot to imagination, must be said. No. I loved it. Hugs the love handles. Mm. But hey, it was good fun. You know, I had parents and kids alike asking for photos, which is, you know, phenomenal. Great. Probably made someone's day. Did you charge anyone money to... No. You didn't make a profit. Claire did make a comment, as I as I said, oh, yeah, I don't charge. She went, like eye roll should have brought out your contactless <laughs> payments machine and asked them to tap it yeah it's a fiver please yeah I could have been minted by now obviously uh, maybe next year yeah this trick yeah. but it's good though from the photos on social media there was um, lots going on lots of people dressed mm. up and it looked like a really good event I missed this year I think I went to not last year's maybe the year before but it's a really good event I Lots think of people go. Yeah, I think we should pitch to the organisers. Maybe we should have a panel. Because oh, right. I sat on some good ones this year. Yeah. Uh, so there was one with four cosplayers. There was Molly May, Kevin, Alice and Amy. Uh, all content creators, all cosplayers. Uh, and they were talking about, you know, how to sort of become big on social media and misogyny, disabilities. It's quite fascinating. Oh, okay. Yeah. It was very good stuff. Uh, I saw two Marvel artists, Pepe Larraz and Isad Ribic, both phenomenal. Uh, interestingly, Alex, mm. you know, recently we talked about the dead internet theory. Yes. Pepe Larraz talked about a tweet that he put out. So someone has created an AI which has learned and can almost replicate his style of art. Yeah, that's wrong, isn't it? Yeah, it's nuts. And he said he's not so much concerned for himself because he knows Marvel will always hire him because you know his is it's his artwork yeah but for the future you know he's he's a bit unsure he's a bit worried about the next generation of artists coming through and this is the thing which you talked about in a couple of episodes ago now where ai can probably do these things or very soon it's going to be near perfect or indistinguishable but it still lacks soul and when you look at those mm. images okay so it's an early engine or it hasn't quite learned yet you can tell it doesn't really have that that human creativity. It doesn't have that soul or passion is a word mm. I'm looking for, I guess. it's It looks like a very pretty picture. It looks drawn and coloured in digital art form. But it lacks something. Do you know what I mean? It's sort of lacking conviction. You know when you sort of draw a line when you're... yeah doing stuff you sort of go you can go from like sort of soft to quite hard there's an intention there's an end product there's a vision I think where you're going with is you don't get that in that that image no and I I didn't it's close don't get me wrong but it's just to say it doesn't have that love or care to it and admittedly um, I'm not sure if I should admit it but I'm doing it anyway Uh, I was 
traveling around, I think, um, uh, well, I know it was Seville in Spain at the time. And I read your message mm. and I saw the, 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 the image that you sent. I didn't read it properly. I looked at oh, that's a, that's a cool looking image, but it looks a bit disconnected. There yeah, yeah. was a number of different panels, but it didn't really make sense. It didn't look like it was from, it isn't from the same kind of comic storyline. But the other one, which by comparison was, I thought, oh, I'll, I'll read that later. I'm currently devouring a sangria or an yeah. ice cream. I can't remember what I was doing. And I read it again. And I thought, ah, that makes sense. But looking at the panels, you can see what AI was trying to do, but it still didn't have that that same impact mm. that's not to say that you know again once it feeds it more information it, it can't almost indistinguishably rec- recreate it but I still I still think it's a long way off that creative human aspect I think yeah. it's a fascinating discussion topic uh, who else did I see I saw Richard Jacks uh, award winning composer who did the soundtrack for the Guardians of the Galaxy game oh right yeah and still to finish that actually yeah, I still need to finish that. And he also did James Bond 007 Bloodstone. Don't know if you ever played that or you're familiar with that game. I'm not. No, I haven't played it either. I'm sure it's great soundtrack. It's got Daniel Craig's face on it, so. All right. Sexy. Yeah, he was very fascinating. Uh, oh, clips. I I recall some of the promo before it, but I think it was on PlayStation Three or something. It was a console I never had. And it wasn't released on, I guess, 360. And that's why I never got it. So mm. I think I'm aware of it, but I never played it, no. Um, mm. Shout out to Joker Squad UK, who do a lot of Star Wars stuff. Um, their principal charity is the Alexander Devine Children's Hospice Service. So they had some phenomenal cosplay. They set up a Star Wars experience, uh, which we did on the Sunday. I actually dressed down on the Sunday because it was just far too warm to be wearing spandex for a second day running. Oi, oi. Um... Well, I mean, the Tatooine merchant wanted to trade in Claire's niece for a self-repairing droid. It was 3PO, it was just wires everywhere. Mm. Uh, and I said, well, he doesn't look like he's self-repairing. He's like, no, self-repairing. Okay, cool. Um, can I trade her in for the self-repairing droid and a gun? And then we've got a deal. He was like, yeah, 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 got a deal. Brilliant. So, uh, you got a droid and a gun? Well, yeah, I'm not so working droid. All right. Yeah, he stitched me up. Well, oh, so. Nothing but... No niece. Oh, we've got the niece still. It's fine. Oh, okay. So oh, yeah, we, we sent her home. She's okay. safe. <laughs> so <laughs> we didn't get very far. But that was it. That's that's really it from me. Good weekend. Yeah. How about you, Alex? What have you been up to? They look good. Um, Spain. Seeing uh, some very lovely, friendly Spanish people having some very lovely Spanish food and alcoholic mm. beverages and just enjoying half term here in the UK. Well, not in the UK. Hmm? Chorizo? Uh, a bit, yeah. Oh, I love it. Uh, a bit of paella. Um, and plenty of sangria. I didn't want to sound like a commoner by saying chorizo. No, no, you you need chorizo. to you need to say it properly, um, not to upset our Spanish listeners. There's no. a couple out there. Um, so yeah, no, it's very nice. Thanks, Dan. Um, lovely to be back. Uh, currently, it is sunshine, warm mm. blue skies, and a lovely summer's evening here on the south coast in Portsmouth. Uh, and I heard the ch- the chimes of Portsmouth Cathedral, harking back to the days of the weekly roundup when we used to do this. The window is open exactly for that. We're going to have the seagulls flying past and some more bells. It's going to be reminiscent. It's going to be lovely. Yeah, it's absolutely wild out there. It's beautiful. Driving over, didn't need my hoodie or anything. No. No, indeed. The summer is here and long may it last. Uh, but that's me, Dan. Awesome. Well, in that case, we should probably dive into the mystical world of cryptids. 
We should. Um, so, Dan, what are cryptids? Well, all I know is they're mystical creatures. But I presume, looking by your notes, I can't really see because I'm a bit of a blind man. All right. You've got a good description there. I have got a description. So, listener, if you're still with us, um, cryptids <laughs> are referred to an animal or creature that is rumoured or claimed to exist but not has been proven to exist by scientific evidence. So the term cryptic was coined in the 1980s by cryptozoologist John E. Wallace and encompasses a wide range of legendary, mythological or elusive beings. I think, for me, the most important words there, not so much as mythological, but legendary and or elusive. We'll mm. talk about the elusive, I think, quite a lot in this next episode. Uh, cryptids can take various forms, such as unknown animals, legendary creatures, or even humanoid entities. Yes. And I've definitely got a couple. Now, they're often associated with folklore, local legends, or sightings reported by individuals. And some well-known examples of cryptids you may have heard of, I don't know, the Loch Ness Monster, Bigfoot, or even Chupacabra. What I should say is, Dan, I've chosen none of those, actually. I've gone quite left field for this episode. Same. I think we sort of genuinely have great minds, you know, great minds think alike. And we've gone straight down the rabbit hole. So I, I guess, listen, if you're looking for us to expand upon the well-known ones, I'm afraid that's not this episode. We may cover it in Volume 2 or perhaps in Volume 3, and there's absolutely tons out there. But no, actually, hopefully you'll learn new ones or at least be refreshed in terms of some of the ones we're talking about. But these aren't going to be common... At least not on my list. No. Um, now, apparently, what distinguishes cryptids from recognised species is the lack of conclusive evidence supporting their existence. So, Despite numerous sightings, eyewitness accounts or anecdotal reports, their existence remains unverified and, of course, subject to scepticism. Mm. Now, cryptozoologists, enthusiasts and researchers often investigate and search for evidence of cryptids to shed light on the existence. Now, these things can be found in various cultural traditions and religions worldwide, often tied to rich tapestry of local folklore and mythology. Now, the study of these things, known as cryptozoology, seeks to explore and investigate these mysterious creatures, uncovering evidence and analysing reports to determine their veracity. Now, it is important to note that the existence of some cryptics is highly unlikely. They continue to capture the imagination and curiosity of many, adding an element of mystery and wonder. These cryptids, which we're going to cover in this episode and Volume 1, have captured the imagination of people around the world, and the stories continue to intrigue and fascinate. Mm. And again, two important words there, intrigue and fascination. Yes. I mean, these have come up sort of sporadically across episodes in our five years of doing this podcast. Interwoven in our rabbit hole series. Mm. So... Conspiracy Theories Volumes 1 and 2 I don't know how he does this guys he's, he's going to start reeling off the OTT numbers in a second World Mysteries yeah uh, Folklore Folklore OTT 6 was that? it was OTT 2 was 2 first episodes, there you yeah. go he's, he's doing it again Rain Man yeah I try mm. I, I couldn't tell you the previous ones to be honest especially from the weekly roundup days but they're there they are there if you subscribe you'll find them on the list it's in the archive but yes, they um they all kind of intersect into those episodes, um, but this one we're truly going to deep dive into it. We are diving in. Also, say actually, listen before we get into it, Dan and I again 
haven't compared notes. No. So Dan doesn't know what I'm going to be talking about and vice versa. So there may actually be things on his list that are on my list, and that's fine. We can deal with it and we can add to each other. But it might be that everyone's learning today, and that'd be great. hope so. I'm sure it'd be a case. So who's starting me or you? I'll dive in. Go for it. Let's head to the USA with the Jersey Devil. Oh, right. So... I've got this one, by the way. You have... But it's fine. It's all good. You kick off. So it is discovered in South Jersey and Philadelphia folklore. Uh, the Jersey Devil, also known as the Leeds Devil. A legendary creature said to inhabit the forests of the Pine Barrens in South Jersey. Yep. Uh, the creature is often described as a flying biped with hooves, but there are many variations. So what does this thing look like, Alex? The common description is that of a bipedal kangaroo-like or wyvern-like creature with a horse or goat-like head. Mm. Uh, leathery bat-like wings. Yummy. Horns. Mm. Starting off well, yeah? Yeah. Small arms with clawed hands. Legs with cloven hooves. And a forked or pointed tail. It has been reported to move quickly and is often described as emitting a high-pitched blood-curdling scream. You want to see this thing on Halloween night, would you? Nope. Apparently, it's also around three to four feet tall, standing on its hind legs. Not very small, then. Not, not very big. Not very big, but then that, I think, that links into kind of the agility and how it mm. may not be easily seen or, or, or picked out in the dead of night. Big enough to boot if it comes near, though. Mate, I'm not kicking that. I'm running away. <laughs> Based on that description. Fight or flight, isn't it? I mean, looking at the, the image here, I mean, look at that. It's quite harrowing. I... It Why reminds it? me a bit like um, the image I'm, I'm showing Dan. I appreciate listening. You can't see. It. I'll put it onto the um, the blog, um, on topic podcast um, It reminds me a bit like the Thestrals in mm, Harry Potter. It does, yeah. At least this image, very horse-like but demonic. Yeah, it does something unnerving, which does definitely fits it's the description. Very creepy. It is, isn't it? So it's origin, and mm. again, I've got some words within my notes across the episode, which are probably going to get cancelled. Oh. I do try. So the origin, the Lenape, I think I've got that right, or the Lenape people who originally inhabited the Pine Barrens believed the area was inhabited by a spirit called Umsing, which sometimes took the form of a deer-like creature with leathery wings. I need to put my teeth in for this. Mm. According to popular folklore, the Jersey Devil originated with a Pine Barrens resident named Jane Leeds, also known as Mother Leeds. The legend states that Mother Leeds had 12 children, and after finding she was pregnant with the, for the 13th time, that's a lot of kids. That is, isn't it? She cursed the child in frustration, crying that the child would be the devil. That's probably why it looks so deformed and demented. Mm. Uh, in 1735, Mother Leeds was in labour on a stormy night while her friends gathered around her. Born as a normal child, the 13th child changed to a creature with hooves, a goat's head, bat wings and a forked tail. Growling and screaming, the child beat everyone with his tail before flying up the chimney and heading into the pines. In some versions of the tale, Mother Leeds was supposedly a witch and the child's father was the devil himself. Hmm. Some versions of the legend also state that there was a subsequent attempt by local clergymen to exorcise the creature from the Pine Barrens. 
Wow. So this is one of those stories where, in my opinion, I don't know if this thing actually exists. It's more of a legend to probably scare kids. Oh, do you reckon like a boogeyman? Mm. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Um, but there have been some sightings. Oh, yeah? Tell me. Uh, there's been many claims of sightings and occurrences involving the Jersey Devil. According to legend, while visiting the Hanover Mill Works to inspect his cannonballs being forged, Commodore Stephen Decatur sighted a flying creature and fired a cannonball directly upon it to no effect. That's pretty difficult. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not questioning this guy's accuracy, but you, that's quite a, an effort to shoot a cannonball at something that's moving mm. with any kind of meaningful accuracy. That's a bit wishful thinking on his part. Yeah, quite. Mm. Uh, Joseph Bonaparte, elder brother of Napoleon, mm, strong name, is also claimed to have seen the Jersey Devil while hunting on his Bordentown estate about 1820. Okay. During 1840, the Jersey Devil was blamed for several livestock killings. Similar attacks were reported during 1841, accompanied by tracks and screams. Hmm. In Greenwich Township in December 1925, a local farmer shot an unidentified animal as it attempted to steal his chickens and then photographed the corpse. Afterward, he claimed that none of 100 people he showed it to could identify it. Okay. Hmm. Gets a bit weirder. On July 27th, 1937, an unknown animal with red eyes, seen by residents in Downington... Pennsylvania was compared to the Jersey Devil by a reporter for the Pennsylvania Bulletin of July 28, 1937. In 1951, a group of Gibbstown, New Jersey boys claimed to have seen During 1960, were claimed to be from the Jersey Devil. During the same year, the merchants around Camden offered a $10,000 reward for the capture of the Jersey Devil, even offering a, to build a private zoo to house the creature if it was captured. There you go. I mean, I'd pay to see it. I mean, here we are. Um, I'm sure that ten grand is still floating around and waiting the zoo is still nabbed. waiting to be built. Mm. Anything to add? Well, the only thing I was going to say was, as uh, perfect run-up, that's, that's pretty much what I've got on here. Um, more recent eyewitnesses, inverted commas, claim to see it flying through the air, lurking in forests, or causing disturbances and fright amongst locals. And this is, I guess, of a similar ilk. I won't talk too much about it, but the Mothman, where there is a figure that people aren't aware of it or they, they, they think they're being watched and there's some kind of mm. feeling of an entity there and then when they look something quickly moves and it moves in the trees and it's the glowing red eyes it's that kind of thing but no one's ever found evidence real evidence of anything like it and I guess to that point where that guy back in was it 1937 shot something but showed the picture yeah. and where are all the dead ones exactly Where's the photos? Surely there must be somewhere in, in history. I think this will be part of my roundup at the end about, you know, credibility and in the day and age of um, mobile phones and in the ease of social media. But anyway, it's an interesting one. Um, 
it might go in the camp of let's scare the children to eat their dinner and their greens yeah category good okay strong start strong start um I am going to talk about the Mongolian death worm interesting so we're heading over to Asia we are you got this one I don't good I do not so this particular cryptid I mean I've never heard this before guys before I did the research um, but this cryptid is said to inhabit the Gobi Desert in Mongolia and parts of China now descriptions of the creature vary but it is often depicted as a large worm like creature measuring around 2 to 5 feet in length now it's uh, characterised by its bright red or reddish brown colour which is believed to help it blend into the desert sand now According to local folklore and reported sightings, this Mongolian death worm, which is a brilliant name, by the way, mm. sounds like um, a death metal band, Mongolian death worm. Sounds a lot like Tremors. Did you ever watch that film? I was going to say Tremors. I mean, the image here, yeah. there is, uh, it looks quite phallic, uh, wrinkled, but anyway, it's a worm subscription with some lots of teeth, ring teeth, and it's spewing something from its mouth. So it's quite gross, yeah. or deadly. It looks nasty. Um, but this Mongolian death worm um, apparently possesses some extraordinary abilities don't they all yeah it's said to have deadly venom that it can spit or release upon touch causing instant death to human and animals now instant death instant now the mere touch of the creature's skin is believed to be corrosive and capable of causing severe burns or as it said even death now this cryptid is said to burrow through the sand leaving distinct tracks or grooves and it is rumoured to emerge during the hot summer months, particularly after heavy rainfalls when the ground is softer. Now, the locals in the region have shared stories and warnings about the creature, and it has become part of the rich folklore in the area. Now, it is important to note that the existence of the Mongolian death worm remains unverified, of course, and there is no scientific evidence to support its existence, but nonetheless, it continues to capture the imagination of cryptid enthusiasts and adds to the mystique of the Gobi Desert. And for me, I think there's a couple of interesting things about this because in deserts, what kind of other animals do you find in deserts, perhaps, Dan? Uh, you get like the uh, those sort of dogs, don't you? You do get wild canines of varieties. You get scorpions. Yep. You get snakes. Snakes. Now, snakes do slither. Some slither sideways and leave interesting patterns on the sand. I'm not saying that these people who live in these areas are misidentifying what is a common animal to that region, but there might be other things, what I'm saying, is that could cause these marks, yeah. or strange marks. Uh, it, it could be an animal that's on its way out and is, I don't know, he's moving Just... around in odd nature. <laughs> Dan's rolling his head like he's... I don't know if I could say this. Maybe I shouldn't say it. You you did a very good Stevie Wonder impression. Oh boy! You know as he's like yeah. he's really into the. That's it. He's, he's doing it again. He's got his eyes closed. He's feeling the rhythm <laughs> of a Stevie Wonder track. You know how he's really into it, Stevie Wonder. And he's yeah yeah. Oh, he's a great performance. A great artist actually. He's phenomenal. But I do I do think that's a Stevie Wonder, not a Mongolian. Not death a Mongolian deathworm. <laughs> or no. a, a creature that's about to carcass it, just like rolling yeah. around in the in, yeah yeah. Um, and maybe when they talk about you know the, the the heavy rainfalls, I mean, in a desert. How much rain dry. do you get in the desert? Some do get some. Mm. 
Um, and it gets very cold in the desert, don't forget, as well. Yes, yeah, yeah, of But anyway, um, worms do actually come to the ground when it's raining because they um, they can permeate the ground and they can feed on the nutrients at the top end of the soil where things fall to the ground and corrode and, and the rest of it. And that's why you see our favourite bird of the south coast, the shitehawk, as they land, you'll see them tapping their feet. You've seen them dancing? Yeah, yeah. And that is to tease the worms to come up because they want to mimic rainfall. Yes. Because yeah, the insects yeah. underneath the ground think, ah, oh, it's rain now. And they'll come up and there's a seagull who eats them. Worms do seem to like dark, dank places, don't they? Have you ever like left... If you do the gardening right, yep. and you know you leave it a couple of weeks before you take it all to the tip... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you pick up the, the bags and there's just like a load of worms underneath. You Where like, do they come from? Yeah. Literally, where do they come from? But yeah, no, hundred percent, it's madness. So I think, I think there there is some obvious logic to other insects of that ilk, um, but I haven't found them. There's no no dead ones lying around. No. So where where are all the Mongolian death worms, Dan? I want to know. I want to know. Uh, it's an interesting one though, um, and not one I've heard of before. But a, a worm that is quite big for a worm, mm. that is dangerous to touch, not that I'd be getting too close to this one, and spits acid. Wowzers. It's interesting stuff. Sounds like something out of a computer game. Sounds like something out of June. Did you ever read that, that book? It's a film. Yeah, I've saw the film. You've seen the latest one? Yeah. Is that did, uh, Who did that one? It wasn't Luke Besson, he's done one before. I can't remember this guy. Uh, it wasn't very good, in no. my in my opinion. They're releasing a volume two. Yeah. Mm. Let's see. Anyway, that was my first one. Uh, next up, we're going to Tanzania. Oh, good. Africa? For... Yes, I believe so. Or Swahili. Uh, Mungwa or Nunda? Come again. Mungwa or Nunda? See, this is stuff that's going to get us cancelled. Okay. I'll take it. So the Mungwa is Swahili for strange one, or Nunda, uh, which means fierce animal, cruel man, or something heavy, is a cryptid felid reported from Tanzania's coastal forests. Sounds lovely. Mm, does, doesn't it? I'm not sure about this cryptid, though. No. So the features, the Mungwa is said to be as big as the biggest lions, with greyish fur and brindled tabby-like stripes and markings. It is readily distinguished from the lion and the leopard by locals, as its tracks are said to resemble a leopard's, but the size of a lion's. According to some eyewitnesses, it purrs instead of roars. Can this not be like a liger? They exist, right? Yes. Maybe not in that part of the world, though. Yeah, I'm not sure. Mm. But, I mean, it's it's a beautiful creature. I mean, I think I've... um, It'll be on this week's episode artwork, actually. Oh, is it? Mm. Okay. Uh, so its origin, the Nunda appears in the traditional Swahili folktale, Sultan Majnun. Again, these, these words I'm probably not doing any justice. They're here to so. test you. That's the only reason why they exist. In this tale, a cat belonging to the Sultan begins killing domestic animals, and eventually people, including through the Sultan's sons, before turning into a Nunda. The fourth son hunts down the Nunda, and after killing a dog, two types of civet, a zebra, a giraffe, a rhinoceros, and an elephant, is led by his slaves to the animal, 
which is asleep under a tree. It is the size of a donkey with brindled fur, huge claws and enormous teeth. So you're probably wondering, has it been sighted? Since has it's it? Bizarre, it has, ah. especially the 90s, uh, the 90s, the 1900s. A series of alleged Mungua attacks occurred in the village of Lindy in 1922 when Captain William Hitchens was a native magistrate. Uh, and this is what he said. It was the custom for the native traders to leave their belongings in the village market every night, ready for the morning's trade, and to prevent theft, and also to stop stray natives sleeping in the marketplace. And a scari or native constable, took it in turns with two others to guard the market on a four-hour watch. Going to relieve the midnight watch, an oncoming native constable one night found his comrade missing. After a search, he discovered him terribly mutilated underneath a stool. The man ran to his European officer, who went with me at once to the market. We found it obvious that the Ascari had been attacked and killed by some animal. A lion, it seemed. In the victim's hand was clenched a matted mass of greyish hair, such as would come out of a lion's mane where it grasped and torn in a violent fight. But in many years, no lion has been known to come into that town. Hmm. Hitchens was puzzling over the problem the next morning when the Arab governor of the district arrived with two scared-looking men at his heels. The men claimed that out late the previous night they said they had slunk by the marketplace lest the Ascari should see them and think that they're evildoers. And as they crept by, they were horrified to see a gigantic brittled cat. The great mysterious Nunda, which is feared in every village on the coast, leap from the shadows of the market and bear the policemen to the ground. The old Arab governor assured Hitchens that the Mungwa, which he described, had visited Lindy several times in his memory. That night, Hitchens kept watch with two armed Ascaris at the market, but nothing happened. So the next day's parade, he read the natives' constables a lecture on the stupidity of superstitions. Mm. However, that night another constable was killed and clutched in his hands and scattered about the buckles of his uniform was more of that grey matted fur. Whilst the terrified villagers paid a medicine man to scare off the Mungwa, it did. Hitchens sent the fur off for expert examination but the only reply he received was that it was Probably a cat. That's helpful. Several more attacks occurred at other small coastal villages over the following month, and a number of people arrived at Lindy to inform Hitchens that a huge grey striped animal like a cat, but as big as a donkey, was seizing men by night. Although traps and poisons were set, and armed police were posted around the district, the animal was never caught, and eventually the attacks ended as suddenly as they had begun. During the 1930s, another series of alleged Mungura killings occurred in Hitchens district. Interesting. Mm. But could it not have been just a um, a rogue, old, big cat subscription? It could be. I mean, sometimes you get 
you know, I don't want to say deformities, but sometimes you get like animals that are just sort of grossly large. Yep. Well, it's, 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 it's nature, isn't it? So um, they can come in different forms and, and not all look the same. But surely it might even be what an old cat, hmm. given the colour of its fur, and you know it's, it's rough description. Sounds like it could be an old one. Perhaps it can't hunt for food and ventures into towns to perhaps get easy prey. That's what big cats do. You know, say in India, when there's unfortunate instances where you know um, animals come across animals, you know, come across human beings. That kind of thing happens. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Hmm. So, but there's been nothing since the 1930s. No, um, but I, I presume we'll sort of round all this up at the end of a wash up and yeah. uh, discuss our thoughts. Oh, we've got some questions. Of course. Okay. Good. Um, we're coming a little bit close to home, Dan. Oh boy, Scotland. Okay, still still far enough. Yeah. Uh, about 400 kilometres, 500 kilometres. Um, the Grey Man of Ben McDewey. Pardon, yep. The Grey Man of Ben McDewey now is a mysterious entity associated with Ben McDewey, the highest peak in the Carrigorns mountain range in Scotland. I just really want to do a Scottish accent right now. Ben McDewey. What I want to say to our listeners are, <laughs> if, if you do want to make any complaints, please make them to onthetopicpodcast at gmail.com, <laughs> but address them to Dan, not to me, because I'm not going to be complicit in any kind of inferred racism or otherwise does it help that I am partially Scottish I do have Scottish I, blood I mean we, we can take it to a poll and ask our listeners whether that is enough to to save your skin but I'm going to go with no I, I'm going to probably end up with angry people at my door aren't I more than usual probably tenfold oh boy um, I can't do accents by now listening you know that so I'm not going to try it it's better, better than I could have ever done to be fair um, but yes this is in the Carrigorns mountain range of Scotland so the grey man describes a shadowy figure or presence encountered by hikers and mountaineers in the area of course now reported sightings and encounters with the grey man offer a in adverse weather conditions it's not always the way when you can't really see it yeah it's always there isn't it it's like either a really horrible rainy day or grisly fog. Misty. Yeah. Or it's dead of night. There's always not the ability to, to be able to see, though. Bad visibility. It's always the way. Could it not just be in the normally large man? Well. In the silhouette. Perhaps. I mean, the presence of the grey man is said to be accompanied by an eerie feeling of being watched or followed. Now, some accounts describe hearing footsteps... Or sensing a looming presence nearby. Now, I must say, though, Dan, this is an interesting thing. And this is where they do refer to the sixth sense. Have you ever been in a room or been out on your own or with someone else and you've got that feeling you're being watched and you're perhaps not fully aware of the presence, but suddenly something switches in your mind and you become Mm. very focused on it and you almost go in the direction of where that thing is and there is something there? Uh, so there's someone watching you or there is a cat or a dog but there's almost that connection between you and the thing that's watching you but it's not being done by sound or by movement you just know acutely that they're there it's just a sense does that happen to you? I tend to get a lot when I do paranormal investigations okay so um, again if people haven't listened to them go check out our Halloween episodes because I talk about them a lot yeah 
But yeah, usually that's what tends to happen. You can walk past the room, but you suddenly... It's, I don't know how to describe it. You sort of just get that sense that someone yeah. or something is watching you or it's there, and then you're sort of drawn to the location. Yeah, I totally get it. Yeah. Well, I've had it before, and I'm sure, listening, you have too. It's just, it's, it's unmistakable, and you, you can't really explain it because actually there's no explanation for it because there's seemingly no sound or, or no movement to draw your attention but it exists um, and apparently it's what's happened here when you do experience the grey man on this mountain range now apparently his appearance and nature vary depending on the stories and experiences shared but of course you would do if it's dense fog blizzards or heavy mist yeah um, now some describe it as a large figure whilst others perceive it as an invisible entity they often associated with a sense of dread or foreboding, with some claiming that the entity tries to drive people away from the mountain or intimidate them. Hmm. Let's put a spin on it. Maybe it's there to save their lives because it's dangerous they go further, you know, further forward. I was just thinking there. Actually. Do you know what I mean? It's just there as, just as a warning. So maybe you should, you know, it's dangerous. Just, Heed just the warning, but don't necessarily think of it as an evil entity or something no. that's nefarious. It could be kind-hearted. Maybe. Folklore and speculation surrounding the grey man of Ben McDewey have led to various theories attempting to explain its existence. Now, some attribute the encounter to weather-related phenomena such as infrasound or optical illusions caused by atmospheric conditions. Others interpret the grey man as a guardian spirit or a manifestation of the mountain itself. Now, the mystery of the grey man continues to intrigue those who venture into the Caragorms, adding to an element of the supernatural to the already awe-inspiring landscape. Now, whether rooted in folklore, natural phenomena, or the imagination, the grey man remains a fascinating part of the mountain's lore. Mm. Now, I've got a photo and image here for Dan. Again, I'll put it on the, um, the WordPress. Uh, and the image we've got here is we've got some grass in the, the foreground, in the background. It's very, very foggy. Uh, somewhere there's moonlight or there's sun, and there's a silhouette almost unmistakably but it could actually be mistaken for something else of a figure it doesn't look quite real it looks almost photoshopped perhaps and I think this is what we kind of got to take with a, a large pinch of salt because actually um, a lot of these things if there are photographic evidence you just can't you can't validate its it, well, the validity no. of the image you're looking at and this one it could either be someone who has taken the picture, you know, with um, a shadow behind them, and it's all been orchestrated, and they've then put it onto the foreground of an actual outside photo. They could have used AI, Dan. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as we talked about in more recent times. So I don't know, but it's isn't it funny that it's always when you can't really see it and you feel something there. I mean, I have been to some mountain ranges. Admittedly, I've still yet to go to Scotland and to to enjoy the Ben Nevis. Um, delights but um, I have been to Scarfell Pike amongst others and when it is raining and fogging and snowing Ooh. you do get a sense of you're on a different planet on the moon yeah. or you're very much alone because fog is very um, it's very close and if it's quite dense you obviously can't see you know farther than maybe a couple of meters mm. at best and you almost do feel as though there's things all around you or the unknown you can't see around you and anything could be there so I can understand the feelings at the moment these are just sightings from what I can read I can't find any kind of example where the grey man has 
claimed any lives or assaulted people is more of an apparition yeah I mean you said yourself in in your notes supernatural yeah so I don't know Um, it's an interesting one and again if there is something there who's to say there isn't someone to help guide travellers and ward them off almost certain peril of danger mountain climbing is a dangerous pastime Mm, quite I think it's an interesting one Um, there's a couple from Scotland I think that's my my only one for this episode but it's, it's an interesting one um, yeah let's know our thoughts guys I know I know, mountain climbing isn't you know just for those who perhaps are thrill seekers there are people who do it you know on the odd weekend here or there if you've seen anything or you can relate to that get in contact let us know but I think it's an interesting interesting concept oh definitely uh, next one from me let's head to the Pacific coast of North America mm. uh, have you heard or have you got this in your notes Cadborosaurus come again Cadborosaurus. Bless you. Caddy. Uh, no. Its n- its name is derived from the Cadborough Bay in Greater Victoria, British Columbia, and the Greek root word saurus, meaning lizard or reptile, which of course we know from dinosaurs. Uh, location. There have been more than 300 claimed sightings during the past 200 years, including Deep Cove in Saanich Inlet, the Island View Beach, both of which are also on the Saanich Peninsula and at San Francisco Bay, California. Oh, right. Uh, Its features is said to resemble a serpent with vertical coils or humps in tandem behind the horse-like head and long neck. Always with a horse-like head. Yeah. Or some pictures actually look more like a capybara, don't you think? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Uh, it has a pair of small elevating front flippers and either a pair of hind flippers or a pair of large webbed hind flippers fused to form a large fan-like tail region that provides forward propulsion. Interesting. Now, it has been misidentified. Uh, the first one was as a sea lion in 1943 by two police officers, Inspector Robert Owens and Staff Sergeant Jack Russell. Now, it was only with a pair of binoculars, Sergeant Russell saw that the strange apparition was a huge bull sea lion heading a herd of six sea lions. Huh. Uh, The next one was a giant oarfish. Now, this species can reach up to 17 metres in length, that's 56 feet, and weigh up to 300 kilograms, which is 660 pounds. Uh, They're long and silvery, and they undulate like a serpent would as they swim through water uh, and it has also been mistaken for a basking shark the carcass of a decomposing basking shark is often mistaken for caddy and has fooled experts and laymen mm. now it has been sighted um, let's start in 1968 in August W. Hageland claims to have caught a baby caddy near De Corsi Island only to return it to the water Sure. 1991. In July, on John's Island, San Juan Islands, Phyllis Harsh claims to have caught a small two-foot, 60-centimetre baby caddy. He returned it to water. Now, in 2009, fisherman Kelly Nash purportedly filmed several minutes of footage featuring 10 to 15, including young, creatures in... Nishagak Bay 
again, probably not doing any justice to these beautiful places. Mm. In 2011, a very short segment of the footage was shown on the Discovery TV show Hill Stranded, where the Hill Stranded brothers from Deadliest Catch apparently saw Nash's footage and unsuccessfully attempted to find one of the creatures. Sure. So is it real? I'm not sure. It just seems a bit concerning that two people have apparently caught one and threw it back and in. Threw it in the water. Would you, Dan? I mean, I, I haven't, I've never gone fishing before. Uh, I've always wanted, always wanted to. It's a pastime mm. I've I um I wanted to do as a as a as a child. Um, vaguely have interest uh, as an adult now. But if you caught something, you're like, nah, this is not this is not normal. I I need to to do something about this. Pre iPhone ease of photography, would you really throw it back? No. I know people do. Anglers do catch and release. I understand that concept, but. Something that odd. The whole mm. point of fishing is it not to show off your prowess of catching the big, yeah, the the the, the big the big fish. Because I mean, we must. I know I've got friends, and you sometimes see you do them. have friends. It's true. Yes, yeah. uh, they go fishing, and oh. you know they always upload their their trophy catch, and these fish are huge. Mm. I mean, you'd want the evidence, right? You think so? But if pre sort of you know smartphones where you don't necessarily have a camera. You'd want to take it back to shore, mm. surely. I don't know how you keep it alive when you're on a boat. Yeah. I've been fishing, though. Um, yeah. I went in New Zealand, uh, oh, really? a key. We Bless stayed at some bloke's house, yeah. um, took us fishing. It was a lovely morning, got up very early, and we just beat the tide going out coming back. Oh, good. Mm. It was lovely. Got lots of fish, and that was our dinner. Beautiful part of the world to do it as well. Yeah. Made some beer batter. It was beautiful. Mm. Get me hungry. Yeah. I'm just at dinner as well. Bad times. Uh, is that it? That's it. Good. All right. Uh, we're going back to Africa now. This is where I get cancelled. The Moka... Oh, crap. The Mokale Mbembe. Is that a footballer? Try that again. The Mokale Mbembe. Sounds like yeah, Mbembe. I think you've done that some justice there. Yeah. Mokale Mbembe. That'll do. It's a legendary creature believed to inhabit the dense rainforests and swamps of the Congo River Basin. Now, particularly in the regions of the Cameroon, Republic of Congo, and the Democratic Republic of Congo. Not being funny, but they're quite dense jungle areas. Mm. So again, shock. There's going to be some mystery and intrigue and not well-trodden areas. Now, it's often described as a large dinosaur-like creature resembling a sauropod. I guess not too dissimilar to what you described, Dan. The name Mokale Mbembe translates to one who stops flows of rivers in the Lingala language, which reflects the belief that the creature has the ability to control water or cause disruptions in river currents. Hmm. Now, the legend of this animal has been part of local folklore and among indigenous tribes in the region for centuries. The sightings of the creature described as having a long neck, a small head, a robust body, whatever that means, and a long tail. So I guess not too dissimilar to Nessie. Mm. And Caddy. And Caddy. Now, some witnesses claim to have seen a crest or a frill on its head. Now, it's often described as being the size of an elephant or a larger or large elephant, with estimates ranging from 15 to 35 feet in length. 
Now, cryptozoologists and explorers have embarked on expeditions to search for evidence of this animal, and some accounts suggest the creature may be surviving a surviving dinosaur, specifically a sauropod thought to have been extinct millions of years ago. However, shock, there is no conclusive evidence to have been <laughs> confirmed of his existence. Down the Mokalei Memembe continues to be a subject of fascination and speculation among the cryptozoology enthusiasts. There's been expeditions, interviews and investigations which still persist in an attempt to uncover evidence of this elusive creature. Now this legend adds to the allure and mystery of the African continent rich wildlife and folklore. And a lovely pencil drawing here Dan. Uh, if you ignore the lush green foliage and you superimpose that upon the cold lakeside of a loch that is a Loch Ness monster. Yeah, it's that it's kind of it. image, listener. It's it's a long dinosaur, thin neck, um, small head, and the bump in the water. Yeah. Uh, and again, this is it's difficult to be able to prove, but also to disprove these things when you're in remote parts of the world, in dense jungle and and foliage. But again. There's no signs of uh, of dead ones hanging around. No. Does make you think. What are you thinking about? Does this thing really exist? Oh, right. mm. Yeah. Uh, not sure. The jury is out on that one. Well, next up, we're going to Asia for Almas. Oh, right. First described in historical records in the 1400s. An almus is not used to refer to one organism, but a community of many. These individuals are described as a subspecies of hominids, the group humans and primates like orangutans, gorillas and chimpanzees belong to. Oh, yeah. Uh, in Caucasian folklore, an almus, alma or almasty, is a cryptid folk creature said to inhabit the Caucasus Tianshan and Pamir Mountains of Central Asia and the Altai Mountains of Western Mongolia. Mm, Mongolia again. Now what does it look like? The common height range for an Almus is five feet tall but adults can be as high as six to six and a half feet. So, humans? Pretty much. They do look a little bit weirder. And actually... I I don't think there's anything wrong with this because it's facts and I've seen it. I think you have too. Um, people in Asia typically are shorter, so the average height is shorter in Asia. Mm. Um, I'm not a particularly tall person, listener. Uh, you may know this after listening for years on the uh, on the topic of the weekly roundup. I'm about five foot six. In Asia, that is slightly taller than the average man. Yeah, I felt like a king there. But they it's do lovely. treat you like you're some sort of royalty. It's quite bizarre. So I went travelling in 2008 and going to places like China and Hong Kong, mm. because you're sort of quite tall, they think you're rich. And, you know, sadly, I'm not. You've but got loads of money. they do genuinely think that you're... A, a rich, tall, white guy. Yeah. And just by that description, surely that is not mistakenly someone 
local to that area or perhaps someone who yes abnormal I guess for the average height of a man but you do have tall people mm. in the world in parts where you know they are not average it just seems like that's that's just a, a very coincidental height range there mm. which covers basically any mature male adult but does this sound human the skull structure of an almus possesses an in, a protruding brow ridge slanting forehead flat nose and large protruding jaw their feet are large and their fingers are long their appendages are completely covered with hair except for their hands their bodies are covered entirely with thick brown to reddish brown hair the facial regions remains uncovered but patches of skin are dark now Nikolai Oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, here we go again. Right, I think I've got it. Nikolai Prevovalsky. You don't have it. No. Describes the Almus as related to him under the name Kung Guresu, which is man-beast. And he describes it as follows. We were told that it had a flat face like that of a human being, and they often walked on two legs, and its body was covered with a thick black fur and its feet armed with enormous claws, that its strength was terrible. I mean, I don't know why you describe it as terrible. Surely if it's something... It must be, like, super strong, right? I guess if it's ripping your arms off from its sockets, it is terrible. (laughs) And that not only were hunters afraid of attacking it, but that the inhabitants removed their habitations from those parts of the country which it visited. So sightings... In the 1800s, a man claimed to have domesticated a female almus named Zana. The creature, after being held within numerous enclosures for many years, was trained to carry out daily tasks such as grinding grain for flour and hauling firewood. Zana, however, never learned to speak, instead using grunts and mutterings. The almus was very athletic, fond of swimming, and apparently had a taste for wine. That's just described me to a T. Well, well, maybe not the athletic part. And it's a female. Zana later mated with a local man. And they had four children. Mm. A tooth sample from one of the children was tested, so they could be real. But there's no record of this tooth. Shock. Of course. Accounts from Russian historian Professor Boris Porshnev in 1964 reported to have encountered the descendants of the Almasty which were grouped in families that dwelled in holes in the ground. Porchnev further describes the human-like beings as having excellent swimming and running abilities, so it's still sort of tying to those stories from the 1800s. They have a foul odour and a diet that consists of small mammals, vegetables and fruits. The Almsty, as nomadic creatures, have travelled beyond the areas of Mongolia in which they are frequently sighted by farmers and villagers. Stories and reports dating from the last 50 years have located the Almas community around the Caucasus Mountains near Russia and the Black Sea. Artifacts and evidence of the existence of Almas communities have also been found in the Pamir Mountains of Central Asia. One of the most recent expeditions that aimed to locate the Almas was led by Russian crypt cryptozoologist well done, yeah. Dr. Marie Jean Kaufman 
and Frenchman Sylvain Palix, Pally. It's got an X on it. I'm sure you don't pronounce an X like that. Let's just call him Sylvain in 1992. Similar to the findings of Porchnev, the data gathered by Kaufman describes the Almasty as large hairy creatures weighing as much as 500 pounds. It's really quite a large creature. It's a bit like the Big Show from WWE. He was about 500 pounds, if I recall. Well, actually? Mm. Wow. He's a big man. He was like seven foot something, though. Jesus. Uh, they are nocturnal creatures that can run as fast as 40 miles per hour. However, only solid evidence Kaufman was able to collect was, was hair samples, footprints, and poo. How does it know it can run 40 miles an hour? If you haven't seen it. What what year was this? Uh, this is quite recently, so 1992. Hmm. So I've, I've Googled it, Dan. That's it Bigfoot. Looks like Bigfoot. They're all of, of a some kind of hairy humanoid. Hmm. Kind of aspect. Are we just going to acknowledge for for a moment there that that Almus has has got his arm under a saggy boob? Uh, yeah, um, that is genuinely a thing. Yeah, well they've got you know they've they've got to be able to to nurture and feed their young. But someone drew that. It's fine. I get it because they're almost sort of humanids or whatever they were called. But why would someone draw it like that? Why not? There you go. Just, just a, a mere observation. But uh, somewhere in Russia, someone made sweet love to that animal and made offspring. <laughs> they did. And now they're running around 40 mile an hour, leaving their poo everywhere and scaring inhabitants of Mongolia. Yeah. Is that real? Don't know. Might be something more in that one, though. Do you reckon? Possibly. Okay. Who knows? Hmm. Um, my last one, Dan. The Hopkinsville Goblins. No, I haven't got that one. Hmm. Also known as the Kelly Hopkinsville Encounter is an infamous incident that took place in August 1955 in Kelly and Hopkinsville, Kentucky, in the United States. Okay. Is that a southern state, Kentucky, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Hey, y'all. Is it? Hmm. Hmm. Do you want to do another American example? Probably shouldn't. Two-footed, go anyway. <laughs> hey, y'all. <laughs> That's not bad. Well, it's not bad to someone who obviously is not from that part of the world. No, um, I'm not American. I don't have any American blood. I've got no... I've got nothing to defend me on that one. No. Uh, I think it's defenceless. Indefensible, some might say. Uh, American listeners will know you're out there. If you can just rate Dan in terms of his... <laughs> <laughs> his Kentucky... Um, uh, accent, I'd be southern, southern accent. I'd yeah. really like to hear your thoughts and perhaps your anger. Again, uh, don't do it to me, listener. Um, it involved a family claimed to have encountered small extraterrestrial aliens creatures at their farmhouse. Just seen the picture, it looks quite bizarre. It does. Now, the story that on the night of August 21st, 1955, the Sutton family and their guests experienced a series of bizarre events. Hmm. Now, the reporter seeing strange lights in the sky and hearing sounds resembling gunfire. Now, later that night, the family claimed to have encountered small, humanoid creatures that it described as around three to four feet tall, with pointed ears, claw-like hands, and glowing eyes. 
Now, these creatures said to have metallic or silver-coloured skin and moved in peculiar hopping or floating motion. Now, the family members, frightened by the creatures, allegedly engaged in a shootout to defend themselves, firing at these goblins for several hours. Looks a bit like Paul from... Uh, do you remember the film with Simon Payton? If, if you... If you had the relationship between Paul and Stitch in Lino and Stitch, that's what I think he probably looks like. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? The Disney film? It's like a, a, a hybrid. With, with, the grim, with the gremlin, perhaps. From Gremlins. Do you know what? I, I wouldn't mind meeting one of these things. It looks quite cute. Well, people are shooting at it, so perhaps they're not. Christ. For hours, apparently. Um... Now, um, however, these creatures appear to be unfazed by the gunfire, obviously, because it happened over a couple of hours, and they vanished, of course, before dawn. Now, news of the encounter quickly spread, attracting attention from media and ufologists. Now, investigative teams visited the site to examine the farmhouse, but guess what? No conclusive evidence was of found course. to support the family's claims. Now, sceptics believe that the encounter was likely a case of mistaken identity possibly involving owls and other animals that triggered fear and confusion. And that'd be funny though, but those animals, loud sounds, they do scarper. Yeah. Gunshots, if people are unfortunate to hear of a gunshot in anger, those things are loud and they're scary. I'd run. 100%. Um, Now, while the Hopkinsville goblins remain a prominent part of UFO lore, is often cited as a classic close encounter case. The actual true nature of the alleged creatures and the events that night remain a subject of debate. The incident continued to captivate those interested in the realms of extraterrestrial encounters and the paranormal. Hmm. It's an interesting one. Um, again, the skeptic in me says, well, there's no evidence, and again, it happened at night. And regardless of whether you're from this planet or you're not, you're going to be scared of a gunfire. Yeah. Loud sounds. Yeah, it's not it's not a natural thing to to gravitate towards. I don't know that mm. um, that bothers me a little bit. But hey, um, August 1955. There's no other sites since, so it is um, an actual tale of local local folklore. Um, it's a one and only encounter. Huh. Interesting. I mean, you could literally do an episode of cryptids on the States alone. Because there's loads. The map, there's just, yeah. I mean, we're probably talking hundreds. I mean, I, I, you already put me out of business with, uh, I mean, you've got an extra 20 for a volume two, maybe a volume three. It's insane. Um, but talking of the United States, uh, have you heard of the Michigan Dog Man? Uh, no, I haven't. So in folklore, the Michigan Dog Man was allegedly witnessed in 1887 in Wexford County, Michigan. This creature was unknown to most of the modern world until very late in the 20th century. It is said to have been stalking the area around Manisti River since the days when the Adawi tribes lived there. The creature is described as a seven-foot-tall, blue-eyed or amber-eyed, bipedal canine-like animal with the torso of a man 
and a fearsome howl that sounds like a human scream. So a werewolf. Now this is where it gets a little bit... You might have heard an audible sigh there, listener. According to legends, the Michigan Dogman appears in a ten-year cycle that falls on years ending in seven. Oh, right, that's um, uh, convenient. Yes. Sightings. Uh, sightings have been reported in several locations throughout Michigan, primarily in the northwestern quadrant of the Lower Peninsula. The first alleged encounter of the Michigan Dogman occurred in 1887. There you go, there's that magical number seven. Mm-hmm. In Wexford County, when two lumberjacks saw a creature which they described as having a manned body and a dog's head. In 1937, in Paris, Michigan, Robert Fortney was attacked by five wild dogs and said that one of the five walked on two legs. Linda S. Godfrey, in her book The Beast of Bray Road, compares the Manistee sightings to a similar creature sighted in Wisconsin known as the Beast of Bray Road. Okay. But it just sounds like, again, one of those stories that you tell kids to make them eat their vegetables. Mm. Oh no, you better not go outside on uh, in 2027. Because, you know, the, the Michigan dog man, he's going to get you. He's going to get you. So eat your greens. So eat your greens, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah that's how it works. <laughs> yeah. In 2027. <laughs> You've got a few years yet, but he's going to get you. So where is he then? If he's not in the off years where he's not, it's not a 20, it's not a 7. Mm. What's he doing? Just sounds a bit convenient to me. Is he... Is he hibernating? Mm. I mean, for ten years. Is he a werewolf? Does he? Does he just come out for a snack? And he's like, "I know I'm done now. Hibernate ten years. I'm full." Just seems a bit bizarre. Mm. I do have one more. Yeah, tell me. Uh, Now let's head down under. Let's go to Australia. We're going to talk about the Yowie. Oh no, you're doing the Chris now. That was bad. This is getting us cancelled. This episode is hundred percent getting us cancelled. Yep. It was a nice run while it lasted. Uh, now, Yowie is one of several names for an Australian folklore entity that is reputed to live in the outback. Again, a very nice fucking place in the world where it's devoid of human life, lots of nature, uh, lots of scary things that can kill you because Australia, lo and behold, there is something out there that can kill you. Yeah. Shock. Might not be those dingoes that are killing people after all. Dingoes? Mm. Mm. Dingo ate my baby. You know, Buffy reference there. Is it? Do you remember that? Yeah, Seth Green's band. I think it was like oh, yeah. season two, season three. Yeah. Mm. Uh, in parts of Queensland, they are known as Quinkin, or as a type that of Quinkin, nice. and as Jugabina in parts of New South Wales. Uh, they are called, oh, for fuck's sake, Jindaring, Jawawara, Mingawin. Putican, I like it. Dulaga, Gallagher, and Thulagal. Other names include Yoroma, <laughs> uh, Nukuna, Wawi, Pankalangu, wow. Jimbra, and Jingara. I mean, I've got to say, you've, you've done a really good job. I've tried. I wonder whether someone has put those words in there as a joke to try and trip you up. But Probably. I mean, you, you've handled that spectacularly. 
And bearing in mind, I've had to swap from my tablet to my phone, and I'm looking at smaller text here. And your three wines in. Yeah, oh it's God, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'll be already doing impressions of my Scottish ancestors. Uh, Yowie-type creatures are common in Aboriginal Australian legends, particularly in the Eastern Australian states. So you're probably wondering, what the heck does a Yowie look like? Tell me. The Yowie usually described as a hairy and ape-like creature. Here we go again. Standing upright at between 2.1 metres, which is 6 foot 11, and 3.6 metres, which is 12 foot. So that's nearly twice the size of me. That's two me. A hairy, two lots of hairy down. Yeah. Yeah. The Yowie's feet are described as much larger than humans, but alleged Yowie tracks are inconsistent in shape and toe number and the descriptions of Yowie foot and footprints provided by Yowie witnesses are even more varied than most of Bigfoot what the Yowie's nose is described as wide and flat behaviorally some report the Yowie as timid or shy others describe the Yowie as sometimes violent or aggressive hmm now we've had a few sightings so going all over Australia for this one Uh, so bear with me uh, so 19th century in the 1850s accounts of indigenous apes appeared in the Australian town and country journal the earliest accounts in November 1876 asked readers who was not heard from the earliest settlement of the colony the black speaking of some unearthly animal or inhumane creature namely the yahoo devil devil or hairy man of the wood in an article entitled Australian Apes, appearing six years later, amateur naturalist Henry James McCuey claims to have seen an indigenous ape on the south coast of New South Wales between Batesman's Bay and Ulladula. Ulladula. I'm sure I'm doing a lot of this justice. Come on, Dan, you've got this, mate. McCuey offered to capture an ape for the Australian Museum for £40. Bargain. Mm. Probably a lot of money back then, but I mean, these days that's it's not your peanuts. ten thousand in your zoo, is it? For the other no. one, according to Robert Holden, a second outbreak of reported ape sightings appeared in 1912. But let's head to the present day. Yeah, tell me. According to top end Yari investigator Andrew McGinn, the death and mutilation of a pet dog near Darwin could have been the result of an attack of the mythological Yowie. The dog's owners believe dingoes were responsible. Dingo. My question is, if a top-end Yowie investigator exists, what about a low-end one? <laughs> what does a low-end one think of? I, I want to know. And what do they look like? Is it a wish.com? Yeah. I'm intrigued. Or a Fiverr version. You know website Fiverr? Have you heard of Fiverr? No. Have you not? No. Yeah, it's really it's questionable because of it's effectively tantamount in some instances to slave labour or ridicule um, but you can pay someone I think the minimum amount is a, is five of whatever your local currency is but it's five dollars five pounds whatever five euro and you can ask someone to do something from a creative standpoint so can you create me a new new logo that is of cryptozoology uh, and about humanoids and they go, yeah, fine, what colours do you want? I want it to be brown with red glowing eyes and a pointed tail, fine. And they'll do it within a couple of hours and they'll return it back to you. Hmm. And they charge you a fiver. Could just use AI, to be honest. It's going to put fiver out of business. But it's, um, yeah, it maybe it's uh, something like that. A, a lower yeah, end. A lower end, what is it? 
Uh, Yowie. Where was it in my notes? Yowie Investigator. Yowie Investigator. Mm. Okay. Uh, so Australian Capital Territory in 2010 a Canberra man said he saw an animal described as a juvenile covered in hair with long arms and almost touched the ground in his garage a friend later told him it could be a yaoi oh right uh, were South- guys drinking by any chance probably not as much as I am mm. uh, New South Wales accounts of yaoi sightings in New South Wales include in 1977. Great year. The Sydney Morning Herald reported that residents on Oxley Island near Tarry recently heard screaming noises made by an animal at night. Foxes. And that cryptozoologist Rex Gilroy would soon arrive to search for the mythological Yowie. Do they have foxes in Australia? Foxes make screaming sounds. Or just dingoes. Dingoes. Yeah, foxes don't make... Uh, their noises are weird, aren't they? They're horrible. It's horrendous. It, it does sound like um, a woman's being attacked. Mm. Uh, if anyone... I think we talked about this before. I think we have in um, the weekly roundup days. But uh, you don't get foxes that often in Portsmouth. You see them, but you don't hear them. We've got some in the school opposite to us. Do you hear them? Yeah. Oh, right. But when I when I lived with my parents up in Drayton, which is off the island... Um, you find them more up along there right. for sure. Because when when they're um getting down, getting down dirty and getting to business, um, that screaming is actually it's horrendous. But do you know why they're screaming? Because um, the male's got a nasty penis. Yeah. So um, I don't know how we. I mean, this is a, a typical segue on the on the topic. <laughs> um, but we're getting into to the main anatomy of uh, a fox, a common fox. Of a UK variety, um, to ensure success of, I guess, um, insemination, for a better term, the, the 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 penis of the fox has a hook on it. Jesus Christ! So when it is inside the female, it hooks inside, and they can't be parted. Yeah. And so all of that lovely goodness, which I don't think I've ever said before, committed to recording um, is going to be inside <laughs> that female and is not going to be otherwise elsewhere to be fair we are talking about cryptids I suppose this is on point this is it's a bit gross it's a nice little segue but it's a fact so that's why they're, they're screaming because they can't either of them can't part until um, nature takes its course sounds like a fox screaming now but it could just be a child I think it's a child it's, yeah. um, it's wildlife of Portsmouth but a different kind <laughs> um Anyway, yeah, it just could just could be the mating sounds of uh, local wildlife. It could be. So let's head back to New South Wales. So in 1996, while on a driving holiday, a couple from Newcastle claimed to have seen a yowie between Braidwood and the coast. They said it was a shaggy creature walking upright, standing at the height of at least 2.1 metres tall, with disproportionately long arms and no neck. Oh. Very odd. We're getting more recent now. So in August 2000, a Canberra bushwalker described seeing an unknown bipedal beast in the Brindabella Mountains. The bushwalker, Steve Piper, caught the incident on videotape. That film is known as the Piper film. Huh. So it's out there. In March 2011, a witness reported to NSW National Parks and Wildlife Service seeing a yaoi 
in the Blue Mountains of Springwood, Been west there. of Sydney. Have you? Mm. Nice. Beautiful. Lots of flies, though. Mm. No one yeah. likes flies. No. Uh, the witness had filmed the creature and taken photographs of its footprints. In May 2012, an American television crew claimed to have recorded audio of a yaoi in a remote region on the Queensland border. Now, in June 2013, a Lismore resident and a music videographer claimed to have seen a yaoi just north of Bexhill. Where's the video, though? Yeah. If you're a videographer, where's your bloody video? Exactly. We want to see this video, fella. Uh, On to the Northern Territory. Uh, In the late 1990s, there were several reports of yaoi sightings in the area around Acacia Hills. I think I've done that right. One such sighting was by mango farmer Katrina Tucker, who reported in 1997 having been just metres away from a hairy humanoid creature on her property. Photographs of the footprint were collected at the time. Hmm... Over to Queensland. Uh, the Springbrook region of the southeast Queensland has had more Yowie reports than anywhere else in Australia. So in 1977, former Queensland Senator Bill O'Chee reported to the Gold Coast Bulletin he had seen a Yowie while on a school trip in Springbrook. O'Chee compared the creature he saw to the character Chewbacca from huh. Star Wars. He had told reporters that the creature he saw had been over three metres tall. Wow. And again, if these things are that big, why haven't we seen a dead one? They're going to stand out. Definitely. A persistent story is that of the Malgawi Yowie, which was last reported as having been seen in 2001. In March 2014, two Yowie searchers claimed to have filmed the Yowie in South Queensland using an infrared tree camera collected fur samples and found large footprints. Later that year, a gimpy man... That can't be right, gimpy. A gimpy man told media he had found... or he had encountered Yowies on several occasions, including conversing with and teaching some English to a very large male Yowie... What? ...in the bush northeast of Gympie. And several people in Port Douglas claimed to have seen Yowies near Mowbray and at the Rocky Point range. Wow. Mm. So one's even teaching it. Yes. Teaching it how to speak. Very fascinating. So we've been all over the world. We've had various cryptids. Mm. And it doesn't really end there. So much so that we'll probably end up doing a volume two maybe next year. We've got loads. Yeah. I, was, I was doing when I went quiet before um, couple before I was having a look um, and I've got six from the US alone from a possible 20 more yeah it's loads there's, there's loads in America um, it seems to be the hotbed of the paranormal and the unexplained mm. so we should probably head over to the listener well Alex I think you've got Luke covered for this one maybe he said, Mothman is one that fascinates me. Me too, Luke. So much so, it's in your notes. It is. The Mothman is a cryptid associated with the town of Point Pleasant in West Virginia, in the United States. Now it's gained widespread attention and notoriety due to a series of reported sightings in the 60s. Now the Mothman describes a humanoid creature with a wingspan of 10 to 15 feet, large reflective eyes and a body covered in grey or brown feathers 
or scales. It is often portrayed as having a moth-like or bird-like appearance, hence its name. Now witnesses claim that it emits a high-pitched screech or a buzzing sound. The first notable sightings of the Mothman occurred between November 66 and December 67. So witnesses reported encounters with the creature which allegedly displayed an interest in humans but also caused feelings of fear and unease. Second time we've heard of that. Mm. First one was our, our man in Scotland. Now some accountant accounts linked the Mothman to the collapse of the Silver Bridge in Point Pleasant in December 67, leading to tragic deaths. Have you heard about this? No. Yeah, I think there was a couple of buses and a couple of cars that were crossing this bridge um, in Point Pleasant and apparently so goes the tale that within the couple of days of people sighting the Mothman something terrible on a large scale happens to people in that area and one so happened was there was a couple of sightings a couple of days before a couple of nights before this event and sure enough the bridge collapsed and many people lost their lives so the event happened people did perish and sadly they they, they did die Um, there's been other events where the Mothman's been sighted and there's been barn fires or something horrific has happened within the community and it's almost like a premonition to something happening yeah. afterwards wowzers horrific hmm. um, however of course there's no evidence directly connecting the Mothman to the British disaster I mentioned now the legend of the Mothman has since gained cult following of course inspired books documentaries and a famous film Point Pleasant hosts an annual Mothman festival, drawing enthusiasts from around the world. Why not lean into it? And the cryptid has become a symbol of curiosity, mystery, and the unexplained. Now, with the Mothman sightings have subsided since, or subsided, should I say, since the 1960s, it remains an enduring legend, uh, of course, capturing many imagination. There's a picture here, Dan. This is a photo. Monday, 21st November, 2016. A man Ooh. says he was driving along State Route 2, saw something jump from tree to tree. Now, he pulled, pulled off by the side of the road, which is good. You should never yeah. use your phone whilst you're driving, listener. Drive safely. And he snapped some pictures. Now, picture here. Um, Dead of night. Shock. There's a silhouette of something that could be a, described as uh, maybe a man with some wings strapped to him. It literally does. Falling gracefully. A silhouette again. It'd be on the um, on the the WordPress. The wings do look sort of very moth-like. Yeah, they do actually. Um, the way I was sort of looking originally, it looked like the legs were like the antennas. But uh, yeah, it's quite a fascinating. No, like, yeah, I see thing. what you mean by that. If you're a bit like that, and it's actual moth. But no, I think it's um, I think it's that way. Yeah, where you've got the wings going forward, and he's almost diving with intent. It's sort of very angelic. Yeah, very maybe odd. he's caught uh, an angel. He could have done. Did this person survive the encounter? Well, this is, is the thing. Is he still alive? This is the thing, Dan. Shockingly, the man declined an on-camera interview. But he was adamant the pictures had not been doctored, and he said he had moved recently to the area for work and hadn't known about the legend. And I've been funny, but 2016, there is a semi-famous, well-known film about that phenomena. It's been in books. You would have seen it as you drove into the area. I mean... Sorry, when did I say that the um, the event was they put on the festival? I didn't, did I? I'm going to say it's probably going to be in the round, probably the autumnal period, maybe around Halloween. That might be a guess. Yeah. This guy snapped it in November. 
I don't know. Uh, call me a cynic, but if he's not going to be willing to give an interview, um, I don't know. But anyway, mm. yeah. Um, interesting one, Luke. The Moss Man is one of the more popular covered cryptids, but there is a reoccurring theme, which I guess we can talk about in a couple of moments. You never see a dead one. Amongst other things. We've got some voice messages, down. We do. Uh, these come from Claire. So we've got two questions. So my question is, are there any cryptids that you've seen while you've been researching this podcast that you 100% believe exist and are out there? For me, it's the Loch Ness Monster. I do 100% believe that there is a Nessie living in Scotland, under the water, uh, fully believe that that creature actually exists. So it's a good question. Um... I mean, there. I mean, we've said it before. I, st- I do think some of their where it's been made up as a bit of a bogeyman story. Yeah. But I can't help but think, given that some of these cryptids look very similar, you know, you've got the Yowie, Bigfoot, etc. Maybe there's something in it. Do you reckon? Hmm. There's there's often from time to time on social media some some odd pages that target me because I guess of, of what I look and research on um, and your phone's always listening to you of course as we mm. know and scientists do come across some very backwater locations things which we've only just discovered and if you think about things in the deep blue sea that are miles upon miles down at the bottom of a Mariana Trench, say. We don't... We've never seen them before. They look very alien because they're devoid of light. Mm. Um, and if they've been designed in a way to maximise, obviously, the, the ability to eat because food is scarce. Um, we are recalling things that are floating to the top or we're capturing things or seeing things on, on film, such as giant squid, is now things, no longer folklore... Um, say in Japan where they they, they capture and bring these things ashore Um, they're real and they're confirmed and they exist Mm. so we are finding things out about this planet that perhaps were just you know destined for the history books or for fringe um, scientific discovery it's like the cryptozoologists for me I wonder whether there are animals or variety of sorts that are perhaps of I don't know canine like creatures Mm. that perhaps do go on their hind legs they do look a certain way do I think they're sauropods like Nessie unlikely just because they have got to some point come up for air I could feel the tension then as you paused for, mm. for your answer. Um, so sorry, Claire, for me, I'm not I'm not sure about this. I do think there's something in that lock, by the way, but the lock doesn't have a very clear route out to open sea, or if at all. So I don't know. Um, do I think that there are humanoids or humanids out there who've got fur, glowing red eyes? No. No, I don't. Just because if they're still around and have been seen for centuries, 
where are the fucking dead bodies? Yeah. Where are the bones? Where are the teeth? Where, where are the fur? Where are the these caves that they live in? Because they get the, they're not not building houses. I mean, apparently they're learning <laughs> no. English and they're having sex with with villagers. But aside from that, the 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 the, the wild ones, so to speak. Where are they living? Mm. And then we get into the realms of well, okay, are there people living in the centre of the earth? Uh, and that is really off the reservation. Um, this is hitting conspiracy theory territory. But I then know. it has been sort of on and off throughout the episode. Yeah. What, what do you reckon? Then? Is there anything that you've you I mean you've, you've talked about it? Anything that you think is is likely? The, it's like I said. There's so many mysteries in this world. I mean, we've touched upon it before in previous episodes that there are things we still don't know. Maybe we shouldn't know or necessarily understand. But it's there to be discovered. Yeah. Do I think there are creatures out there that we haven't seen or maybe had a glimpse of that we don't quite understand what it is yet? I think so. Hmm. I just don't... Yeah, I mean, this is probably an unlikely answer for someone that believes in ghosts, you know, or believes in a paranormal, you know, something beyond the realms of death. So, yeah, I mean, I'm open to it. But equally, as someone that does these sorts of things in the paranormal community... I like to try and debunk it first, and if I can't yeah. explain it, then that's where I would sort of generally go. Yeah, maybe there's something in it. I was going to leave it to a summary, but perhaps now is a good part, point to do it because I think it links in nicely to Claire's question, which is perfectly timed. Which is um, overall, I just think a lot of these are they're poorly accounted for, and they all take place in poor visibility at night now you know you could say well these things only come out at night because they're scared of humans or the light or whatever fine very convenient but okay but where are the dead ones and in a day and age where people take videos and they have cameras in their pockets and there's social media if these things were jumping from tree to tree or they were by the side of the road or they are in the jungle or we've got satellites or we've got people in helicopters Mm we've got people now speaking to indigenous tribes and all these kind of things the world is becoming a smaller place Dan yeah and I just I fail to believe that something or these things that are so prevalent perhaps in 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 sightings and in local communities we have still been unable to document their existence I don't I don't get it because if if they're eating something, what are they eating? What are they surviving? What's their subsistence? Because they're eating livestock, or there will be dead animals, or there'll be signs mm. of something, or they're competing with predators out in in nature. What happened with those things? Yeah, I don't know. It's, I just find it very difficult to be able to say there are hairy men running around, and there <laughs> are, by the way, but the of they what they describe are hairy men running around the nature. Uh, on the natural world and or there's 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 goat like horned demonic beings with pointy tails show me mm. because camera footage hasn't found them 
and where's the evidence in the world in the digital world and age where we are now we're not seeing them no but counter argument I'm not helping myself here Dan is if someone did present it what are we going to say it'll be an episode for another day correct or more likely it's going to be doctored it's photoshopped it's AI it doesn't exist yeah so we're not helping ourselves I just think that leading up to this point I just I fail to see there's there's that limited evidence got one more question though oh okay my other question is we've had a couple of meg films with Jason Statham some people believe that sharks that size really do still exist and we've just never seen them because they live too far down for us for humans to have ever seen them alive but some people believe that that is a prehistoric version of the shark we have today so which do you think is true do you think that the meg actually exists and is therefore sort of a cryptid is it a cryptid or do you believe that that was like the dinosaur of the shark and the shark we have now has evolved from the meg i think you've kind of already covered that in your answer to the first question but then when you look at things like the mariana trench how deep does that really go true um i mean there has there are bones of these things existing but when they do mm. the carbon dating it is millions of years old um again we haven't got any examples of recent carcasses or bones to suggest that there's they're still alive or have been in the last couple of millennia or people being chomped well, how would we know mm, quite they dead um I'm probably going to say probably the latter. So they are, they, I mean, it's proven they are prehistoric animals. Um, I would probably suggest that the sharks we've got now are ancestors of, of the bigger predators of the sea. Yeah. Evolution. Evolution indeed. I mean, if, if there are those things down there and there's an ecosystem which is yet to be found, which is the, the basis of the Meg. And interesting enough, Meg 2, which I'm really excited to see, by the way. Oh, Dan. God, it looks ridiculous. It's going to be some fun stuff. Um, who's to say that it actually won't look like the Meg from the films or the Meg from the um, the, 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 the fossils or, or, or the carcasses, but perhaps looking a little bit different? Because again, miles upon miles down in the bottom of the ocean uh, in the deepest darkest depths of, of the world who's to say that there are, aren't those large beings that, but they look very different mm. or they're versions of perhaps their prehistoric ancestors again I, I know it might be a cop out but I think that probably links into what I said earlier which is I, I think there's still lots to discover we just literally can't go down that far yet to be able to discover all of those wonderful, crazy things that are down there that flourish and live and yeah. thrive, you know, in, in near to the closest and but but bottomless pit of, of of our inner core, I don't I don't know. It's not to say it's not there. I find it very difficult, but that perhaps it's so far down, we'll never know until we manage to 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 get down that to the crushing depths of. Uh, of the ocean yeah literally if we go down there now we would literally get crushed and we can only go so far I can't I, I, is it, uh, this might be wildly out if we've gone down 20 miles or something with unmanned 
drones. I think recently they've they've won a record where they've built um, devices that can go under the under the sea unmanned because of course the pressure just so much gravity and the pressure of the water on top of you will crush you to to, to nothing um, but they have sent something down to a record depth uh, 10,927 metres uh, and that was in 2020 and what's that in other <clears> measurements <throat> do we know that 10,000 metres let's google what's google say well let's say 10,927 metres uh, in miles there we go okay so 7 miles yeah so I've uh, I've obviously hyperinflated, but that's still quite seven miles. Seven miles. That's a way. That's pretty much here to heaven, isn't it? That's here to Ish. the Isle of Wight. Yeah. It's here to the Isle of Wight. Yeah. It's quite a way. Um, <clears throat> that's a lot of water. So I don't know. There, there, there's stuff down there we haven't seen. Is there a Meg down? That's a question. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? One day. We'll soon find out. I guess that wraps up for cryptids. So Alex, what have we got coming up next? That's a good question. Um, I haven't got a list in front of me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, what have we got? Uh, I mean, we've teased someone um, on our socials this week. Uh, We could just do an entire summer of left field stuff. This is up to you, listener. Oh, yeah. Unless it's time-relevant, delicious film review. Uh, we've got the Black Knight. We have orbiting the Earth. What yeah. is it? Uh, we've got mind blowing facts. Yeah, you teased this to me the other day actually, and um, it's really fascinating. Yeah, I quite like the sound of the one. And the other one that I thought was quite fun was crazy coincidences. Yeah, there's, there's some stuff in that. Some really good ones. But I suppose we'll probably oh and TV plot holes. Yep, plenty of those. We've done um film plot holes yeah we we sort of recently teased TV plot holes in Guardians of the Galaxy I think it was our volume 3 review where we've talked about Buffy and vampires yeah and bonus and bonus yeah Uh, we won't go any further than that Um, well you've said it well yeah it's nothing left to your imagination but if I mean if there's any Guardians of the Galaxy fans they should probably just go and listen to the episode and wait until the end yeah if not just go and have a listen and skip towards I think the the last ten minutes where we do our wash up. No, we are now. No, we don't need to make it any darker. Again, it is what it is. We don't need deja vu. So we've got some good stuff there to dive into. We have, but we've also got lots of um, content coming out in the cinemas, right? So we've got the mm. Flash um, on streaming. We have uh, Secret Invasion. Yes. Um, another wonderful Marvel content so yeah we've got quite a lot actually coming up then possibly John Wick 4 which we did miss in the cinemas but might do a, a watch along yeah that could be fun it might be a long episode though we've got, what is it three hours the film oh, we'll cut it it's all good we've got it covered that'd be a bit of a bitch to edit but you know it could be fun or it could be where we just pause the film and uh, just record a segment could do we'll think about it we'll, we'll work it out we always do. But if you want to get in, t- in, in touch, if you want to get in contact, we are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at OnTheTopicPod. And we've got Gmail, which is OnTheTopicPodcast at gmail.com. We're also on TikTok, which I don't really use. I should probably get my head around it still after having it for so long. That is also at 
on the topic pod. Alex, we've got YouTube and WordPress. We do. So um, bonus content will be found on our WordPress, so I'll add the images to today's cryptids, and you can find and have a look and see all of them consolidated on there for your viewing pleasure. Um, along with the whole back catalogue, we've got our ugly mugs, our bios, uh, anything you could possibly want, as well as subscribing to our newsletter and being notified when an episode drops. That is on topicpodcast.wordpress.com. And our YouTube, so we're very quickly um, coming up to date with YouTube, aren't we? Two weeks away. Two weeks away. We're doing and well. we're going to release new content as and when we go live on Spotify for podcasts. Uh, so that is uh, at OTT. G-I-T-S, which as you know, listener, is O-T-T, Get In The Sea. Um, or you can just search for On Topic Podcast. Uh, and people are going there, Dan, because we're getting quite a few listens, streams, and watches. So actually, listener, there's absolutely no excuse not to be notified and going to listen or watch your favourite podcast wherever you decide to get it, because it's all out there. It is. For your viewing and listening pleasure. Go smash that subscribe button if you haven't. Otherwise, I will come for you. Or the Mothman will. Or any other cryptid. Or an Almus. Yeah. Or the Jersey Devil. So we should probably wrap up there. It's getting a bit dark now. It is, yeah. So, for another week, uh, I've been Dan, and I'm off to try and find a dead cryptid now. And, uh, well, I am not going to be making love to some hairy men in the woods (laughs) (laughs) and trying to teach them the English language. I'm Alex, and we'll see you next time. What we got? What the blue? Fuck. Blooper. Bloopers. <laughs>